The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, Money Matters. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome again to Sacred City. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I get to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. And that is uh, my great joy. But before I do that, uh, we had a, it's been a, a fruitful weekend already for us at Sacred City. We had uh, what we called the Healthy Soul Conference this weekend on Friday night and Saturday. Uh, we had, I, I, I didn't, don't know if any of you guys know this, but my personal counselor, uh, Richard Plass, and his, uh, the guy with him, Jim Cofield, they came down, authors came down, ministered to us, and just did a light, lights out job. It was uh, so good for our soul. Um, how many of you guys were there? Wave your hand if you were there. Yeah, a lot of you were there. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was awesome. And if you weren't there, we're going to post the audio online as soon as we get it available. Ben will post something on Realm about that. Um, But I wanted to thank all the volunteers that helped make that possible. And specifically, Ben, Ben, uh, you put that together. You did a great job. It was lights out, man. Awesome. So good stuff. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to get after it this morning. All right. Can we do this? Let's go. Father, uh, I thank you for being here. You are here through your word and you are here through your spirit. We need you because there are a lot of things that kind of come against us. There are a lot of um, contrary opinions. There are a lot of cultural forces. There are a lot of things that just try to confuse us and try to get us off track. And we really need you to speak to us to help keep us in the right direction and help keep our minds uh, on you. And so I pray that you would do that for me this morning, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that you would help me stay true to your word and share what you would have for us and not my own opinions. God, I ask that you would lead us and guide us and shape your people through your word. You would even call people to yourself this morning through your word. Would you help us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're spending three weeks in this passage of Scripture from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is is one long sermon from Jesus on how the gospel, his core message of his ministry, changes everything. Did you hear that? The gospel changes everything. When a person believes the gospel and becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they begin to live their life differently than those around them, right? Those that don't follow Jesus. This is what 
When you read the Sermon on the Mount, this is what life looks like inside the kingdom of God. It's lived differently than outside the kingdom. And one of the ways that Christians are different and unique is in money matters. Last week, we looked at the first three verses of this section of Scripture in Matthew 6, which describe there's only two possible treasuries that a human can deposit into. You have the earthly treasure or you have the heavenly treasure. And all of us are stewards. We're, we're called to be stewards. God owns it all. God gives to us whatever we have. And we have two options to use with our money that he gives us. We can invest it into heaven. That is the kingdom of God, his work in the world, his mission in the world. Or we can invest it in our own self. Now, we all have to invest some into our own self. He doesn't condemn that outright, but he's just saying, make sure you're laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. And that means for the Christian, we, are, we make consistent deposits into the heavenly treasury. That means we give money, resources, and time to the things of God in a sacrificial and regular base, basis. We make investments into his kingdom his church, his mission in the world. And, and this is what's kind of surprising. When we do that, that lays up treasure for us in heaven. Now, today we're going to look at the, the middle two verses of this section of scripture, which are the most confusing and the most overlooked of the whole passage. We're gonna read Matthew 6, 22 through 23. I'm going to read it again for us. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, that's a little cryptic. What is Jesus saying here? Well, he's talking clearly about our eyes, our ability to see. He says that the eye is a lamp. Another way to say that is a lot, an eye, the eye is a window. People say the eyes are the window of the soul. The eyes are the windows that let in the light into our whole body. The reason we can see anything is because we have eyes. But he's saying this, if your eyes go bad, you are blind. Now listen, here, here's the reality. Here's what he's getting at. If you're blind, it doesn't really matter if the light in the house is on, right? If you're blind, you will still be in darkness. The, the room might be flooded full of light, but you are still living in darkness. So therefore, when you walk, you might stumble. You might fall over the couch. You might stub your toe. You might get hurt. You might not understand what's going on in the room because your eyes are actually blind. It's kind of an obvious point, right? Well, Jesus rarely makes obvious points. Here's what's interesting. Or here's the question we should ask when we read this. If we look at the context, let's just do that real quick. Let's look at the context. We've already seen it. 
Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves, look, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, he's talking about money, wealth, our treasure, there your hearts will be. Then he goes on and talks about the eye and talks about being blind. And then look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's he talking about here? What's going on? The whole context is this. Money, blindness, money. Right? Now, Jesus is not like a Quentin Tarantino film that just cuts to something totally random. Right? Jesus is bracketing what, what he's talking, he's making one point, and here's the one point. Money has the power to blind us. Now, how can money blind us? Well, I've got at least, here's the sermon, five ways money blinds us and one way to get healed from our blindness. Five ways money blinds us, and one way to get healed from our blindness. This is where we're going. Number one, money can blind us to our blindness. It's interesting, in the parallel passage, so Jesus taught this, and then the gospel writers, as they're writing it down, they, they write it down in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the parallel passage, this, when Jesus is teaching the same thing, in Luke chapter um, 12, verse 15, right on the heels of this, Jesus says this, take care and be on guard for your greed and covetousness. <clears throat> now, what is covetousness? Covetous, coveting things is living like my life exists in the accrual and enjoyment of possessions. It's basing my life off of, it's called materialism. It's basing my life of what I own. <clears throat> now, why does Jesus say, take care and be on guard for greed and covetousness? Well, you walk by a house that's got a big, nasty dog, and they say, beware of dog right? I've never seen beware of cats, right? Why do you say beware of dog? You say beware of dog because you might get your face ripped off if you get close. Oh, cute. There goes the finger, right? Now, listen, this is what's interesting. Jesus never says beware of lust. He never says beware of lying, beware of stealing, Why? Because, here it is, materialism blinds us to materialism. Greed blinds us to greed. So Jesus has to say, look out, watch out, be aware. Look, be on the lookout for it. See, here's the deal. When you lie, you know it, right? Everybody, everybody knows when they lie. You walk away from that conversation, you know you just did it. Everybody knows when you cheat on a test. You know if you cheated or not, right? You know when you lose your temper. It's not like, did, that, did I just lose my temper? I'm not really sure about that. No, you know. 
You know if you cheat on your spouse. But there's something sinister about greed, about covetousness, about materialism. See, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now. And I, I know I look really young. Good genes. I'm blessed from the Lord. Let's just say that. I've had, I get it every time. I say how long I've been in this. Yeah, I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in June. It's gonna be a sad day. We can all pray for me. It's coming up. I've had, now listen, here's the deal. In 20 years of ministry, I've had people come in and talk with me and confess to me all kinds of sins. Selling drugs, having an affair, abusing their spouse, being addicted to pornography or drugs or alcohol. But in 20 years, no one has ever came in and confessed to me the sin of greed. And I talked to other pastors and in the same boat. So the, we could either say, oh, nobody in our culture struggles with greed. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> or maybe we are just blind to it. Why is that? Because nobody who is greedy knows that they're being greedy. Greed blinds you to your blindness. You don't even know you're blinded by your desire for the things of this world. And therefore, greed and covetousness and materialism might be the most dangerous of all things that we need to be aware of. And that's why Jesus says, beware, be on the lookout, be on guard for this thing. Here's what the other thing that's interesting about how it blinds us to our blindness. But we also are very aware of who we think is greedy. Right? We, we can't diagnose it here, but when that person does whatever that thing is, buys that house or that car or does that thing, must be nice to just be greedy like that. Right? It's interesting how it blinds us to our blindness. Secondly, greed, that's the name I'm putting on it. You can call it materialism. You can call it whatever you want. Greed or money, the love of money, blinds us to our lifestyle choices. Now, I got this one from Pastor Tim Keller, pastor in New York City. Think about this. We live in a very unique cultural situation. Our enti entire economy is built off the reality that you can upgrade literally everything. There is no one product. We have a spectrum of products, and that spectrum, if you, here it is, you want a toothbrush, you can choose one on the spectrum. You can get a 79 cent toothbrush from Walmart, or you can buy the latest and greatest from your Facebook ad that's $1,500. <laughs> so you go to, you, your life, you have this spectrum for, for a toothbrush, 79 cents, $1,500. And I'm sure there's one even more expensive. MC Hammer probably had one of gold, right? <laughs> Bigger than that, right? Now listen, here's what's interesting. This is true for nearly every single product. Clothes. You can buy $5 jeans. You can buy $500 jeans. Electronics. 
food. You could buy a $5 steak. You could buy a $500 steak. Cars, homes, lawnmowers, you name it, there's a spectrum. There are always 50 possible versions of any particular product. And here's the deal. Here's where I'm getting at. And you always know exactly the one that you can afford. You're very aware of the one that is just a little bit higher than the one you currently have. And what happens is as soon as you get a gift, as soon as a little bit of extra money, a bonus, a raise, a birthday, anything, anytime you get a little bit of money in your life, you start to do a little bit better. The first time one of those, one of your things wears out, what do you do? You upgrade. You say, I can afford this. It's only another $8, it's only another $40, another $15. I, I can afford this new toothbrush or whatever it is. Here it is. The next thing you know, through literally hundreds of microscopic upgrades all the time, you're always maxed out. You're always living to the edge of your income or maybe even a little bit over. That's why you've got the credit card. And you never feel like you have enough. And you look around and you're like, what's going on? I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. I just got this raise. Where did it all go? See, you're making a little bit more money and you're living a little bit better. And you don't even know you're doing it. You're just upgrading here and upgrading there. And you're maxed out and you feel like you don't have that much, but you do. Why? Why is this happening? Because you're blind. Don't even realize you're doing it. You just started wearing a little bit nicer clothes or buying a little bit nicer cleaning chemicals or a little bit nicer things that don't have chemicals in them. All right? Used to eat 99 cent eggs. Now you get the 4.99 eggs. Used to drive this type of car. Now you drive that kind of car. You take this kind of vacation. Now you take that kind of vacation. Thousands of microscopic upgrades and we don't even realize how we are blind to our blindness and we're blind to our lifestyle choices. Ask your grandpa about your $6 coffee habit. Watch the look on his face. If he made it through the Great Depression and he looks at you like you are a complete moron for spending. My Folgers was about 10 cents and you could, it could survive a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> and you're telling me your coffee gets stale in eight minutes? Okay. He's going to look at you like you're crazy. Right? Now listen, it's one thing if coffee is your thing, right? And you are really frugal in other areas of your life and you sacrifice in some areas so you can splurge in the area of coffee. That's fine. But the problem is, None of us are like that. We splurge everywhere. We upgrade everywhere. We want the best. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We know our place. Maybe not the best. We want the best we can afford. We want the middle, you know, above middle of the road for sure. And so we never really have enough and we never really think of ourselves as greedy. And yet, here it is. We spend way too much on ourselves 
and we have no idea we're doing it. Here's the test. How do you know if this is you? Well, here, here it is. Do you regularly ask yourself the question or do you have any friends that you've given permission to ask you about yourself and say this, am I spending too much money on clothes? Am I spending too much money on, elect are you asking yourself this and do you have people asking you this? Am I spending too much money on electronics or entertainment or home furnishings? or vacations, or coffee? Are you asking yourself, could I not really change things a little bit so I'd be able to live differently and give a lot more money away? Do you ask somebody else? Do you show them what you spend? Does somebody else know what you make and how much you spend on entertainment and how much you spend on your clothes and how, or whatever? The Americans right now are just, all of us in this room are like, opening our books to somebody other than our accountant? I would never ask somebody else those kind of questions. Why not? Why won't you look? Because your eye is dark. Because money makes you not want to ask. Because money makes you not want to look. We don't even want to look. We don't want anybody else to look. We don't want to look. We don't want to be aware. We want to be blind. This is why we are talking about money at Sacred City. That for the first time really in seven years, and we're doing it in our missional communities because it's for the good of our soul. We need to be open about this. It's not okay to have this section of your heart or the section of your soul locked behind closed doors where you say nobody can get in there. God can't get in that room. The pastor can't get in that room. My friends can't get in that room. That's for me. That's dangerous. Third, money blinds us to our purpose in life. See, making a lot of money will not make you happy. And yet so many of us have only one goal in life. We've got one major goal. You ask a sixth grader, what do you want to be, rich? And so they live their life saying, I want to be rich. And then here's the deal. The rest of their life, going through high school, going through college, choosing a career path, this is their goal. I want to be rich. What can get me rich? So when we're looking at the college entrance exam and we're looking at possible careers, what we're looking at is what pays the most. And we're choosing our direction in life based on the end goal of what pays the most. Now listen, please ask anyone who has tried this and their answer is almost always, money won't make you happy. The love of money blinds us to our real purpose in life and throws many people off course. You were made for more than making money. You can make money in a lot of unethical ways. You can make money in a lot of ways that are detrimental to your soul's health, detrimental to your family, detrimental to human flourishing and your future flourishing. I know so many people who chose their major 
or their career based upon the projected salary and that, that that field offers, and they wind up miserable. People that were on the, 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 the New York City, you know, the stock exchange, they're on the, stock, they're on the floor and they're making money hand over fist, and yet they hate their life. People that chose industries that tend towards unethical practices, but they can put money in the bank fast and they chose those. And after a decade of doing that, they look back and they're miserable where they're at. They hate what it does to their heart or to their family. Now, what is that? Money blinds us to our purpose in life. Don't chase money to find your purpose. How do I find my purpose? Look at your gifts. Look how God made you. Right? Are you mathematically right, gifted? Find career paths that are in line with that kind of gifting. Are you an extrovert and gregarious and you're a salesman type? Okay, find that. Look at your gifts. Look how God has wired you. Look at what you are uniquely designed to do and then go after that with everything you've got. Most of the time, if you do that well and you're willing to put a decade into it, they say about 10,000 hours, you will probably get paid for it and probably get paid pretty well for it in our country and you'll probably be fulfilled. Now, this is not easy. This is difficult. This is hard work. This is not what the culture's saying, goofy things like follow your bliss. Listen, if your bliss is painting snails, you're never getting paid for it, okay? That's not what I'm talking about, right? It's what has God wired you to do? Here's how Frederick Buchner says it, and I love this quote. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness. Now, what does that mean? That means what you were created by God to do, your unique proclivities, your, your distinct properties, your DNA, everything about you. It's where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. There's a need out there in the world that you can fill. And you find your purpose usually in that spot, how you're uniquely gifted, and where the world's need meet. All right. Now, fourth. I'm on a roll. Here we go. It, money, so money blinds us to our blindness. It blinds us to our lifestyle choices. And it blinds us to our purpose. Now, it's okay when you're finding your purpose to say, can I make a living doing that? That's good. You should ask that question. But if you're just going, how can I make the most money? You're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for a miserable existence. I have an example. One time when I was, uh, so back in my day, the, when I first came, uh, when I was like 16 years old, the minimum wage I think was like 425 or something like that, maybe 465 an hour. I found a job and I liked it. I enjoyed it. I was working at a grocery store and it was fun. I could talk to people and I could put stuff away and it was just pretty an easy job. And then I got offered a job for 10 cents more an hour. Looking back, I'm like, it's 10 cents. I didn't do the math. All I heard was this is a raise, 10 cents an hour, but it was a raise. And the, ra the, the job was counting Seeds of corn. I had to take kernels of corn, 
and put them in a little envelope so they could be tested and they could, you know, they're doing all kind of probably genetic modification, all kind of stuff on them. But I, my whole day was counting seeds of corn. I lasted about eight days at that job, <laughs> right? The money's not worth it. That extra dime was not worth it, right? Absolutely miserable. I wasn't made to count corn. Praise God. Thank God for that. <laughs> right? Fourth, money has the power to blind us to eternity. I showed this illustration last week, if we could put it up on the screen, that life is the dot. Our life on this earth is living in that dot. And the line, which that line would go on forever, that is our life after death, eternity, heaven, life in the new heavens and the new earth. Right now, we are living in the dot. But here's the question. What are we living for? The person who has been blinded by greed is living for the dot. The person who is repenting of their greed and living for the gospel is living for the line. We're living on the dot for the line. The person who lives for the dot lives for treasures on earth that end up in garage sales and junkyards. The person who lives for the line lives for treasures in heaven that will never end. Giving generously to the work of God in the world, the church, church planting, taking care of orphans and the poor, giving towards the kingdom of God is living for the line. It's making investments in heavenly treasuries. How foolish, here it is. How foolish that the American Christian thinks they can live for the dot and yet inherit the line. No. See, the love of money blinds us to the reality of eternity. We live for the dot and we forget about the line. Fifth, last way money blinds us. Money blinds us to the greatest treasure. Jesus tells a lot of stories in the Gospels, and one of them that he tells over and over in kind of different ways is called the parable of the treasure. It's a simple story. In Matthew 13, it's like one line. And it's meant to teach the lesson that we're learning here today, but more in a narrative, more in a story form, more as an example. A few chapters later in Matthew 13, this is what Jesus says, quote, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, what's the story? Here's the analogy. <clears throat> Every day on your way to work, you pass by a field. You look at this field Look at that piece of garbage field. Somebody needs to mow that field. Oh, it's, been, it's for sale. How much are they asking for it? Good luck on that. They expect to get that much for that broken down field? Heck no, that's ridiculous. Then one day, 
Years later, after years and years of walking by this terrible investment, who would invest in that property, right? He cuts through the field to get, maybe tries a shortcut to get to work. And while there, he kicks something and he realizes he moves some dirt around and he realizes that there's literally buried treasure in this ground. Now, it's interesting what this new discovery has done. Immediately, he realizes that this is actually a pretty good investment. I can't believe nobody's invested in this already. Man, I could just see what this could be right here, right? All of a sudden, he's got Joanna Gaines' eyes on this property, right? Put a little shiplap on it. We'll be good. Now, here's what he's seeing. The investment that's required for possession of this property is less than the investment that's already intrinsically there, right? The property is now worth more than what they're asking for, right? There's something buried there. There's something hidden there. There's something that normal eyes can't see. And therefore, now this investment makes a whole lot of sense to me and my accountant, right? Now, Jesus follows this story up. He wants to see it back to back. That's verse 13. Verse 14 is this. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So this is this guy's, his job is to go find expensive pearls. That's his job. That's his goal in life. Who, look, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now what's going on here? Every day, this guy is... I don't know what you would call this guy. He's a jewel guy, whatever that is. Jew, I don't know what that word is. Didn't look, I should have Googled it before I got up here. Would have been wise. He looks for pearls. It's his job, okay? And his goal is to find the pearl, right? That, that's his goal. It's to find the pearl, the one pearl to rule all pearls, right? And one day when he finds it and he recognizes, he's an expert in pearls, this is the pearl. This is the one pearl. This is the pearl to rule them all. This is the one I've been living my life for. What's he do? He bankrupts his life. He sells everything to buy this one pearl. He's found the greatest treasure. He knows I'm rich now. I'm giving everything I've got to get it. But what this thing is, is worth more than what I'm giving up for it. See, this is what's Jesus teaching? Giving away your money to buy that field, giving away your money to buy this pearl, they were not seen as losses. They weren't giving something up. It wasn't a negative. They're winding up cash flow positive on both transactions. These were acquisitions that brought increase into their life. They were great investments. Anyone with the eyes to see, oh, there's really treasure there. Anyone with eyes to see would see that these are great investments. And they were investments that were joyfully given. Can you imagine this guy? This guy going wherever they went to the bank, whoever owned the property to buy this, he's just like, 
take my money, please take my money. Because as soon as you take my money and that deed becomes mine, the riches are mine. He can't wait to give the money away because he sees it as an investment that's going to return however many fold. So what is Jesus teaching? Jesus is exposing. He's trying to open our eyes for us on the greatest treasure of the universe. Jesus is the buried treasure. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Do you see Jesus as this valuable? Now, here's the reality. That's universal truth. That's the truest thing in all the universe. Jesus is more glorious than the moon, than the sun, than the stars, all combined. He's more valuable than the trinkets you can hold in your hand that will soon be in a garage sale. Are you awake to it? Can you see that? Or are you still walking by the field looking at who would buy this dump? What a bunch of morons. Do you see Jesus as that valuable? Now, here's how you can know. This is, this is great. I don't, you don't need a theological treatise. You don't need to take your temperature and call me in the morning, anything like that. Here's how you know. Is G, do you joyfully give up your wealth to Jesus and for Jesus? Now, you can be a teenager, well, if you're from Illinois, with a 15-hour and a... $15 an hour job. You can do this too. Do you joyfully give it up to God? You might be mowing grass. You might be raking leaves. Do you joyfully? You might just get an allowance from mom and dad. Do you joyfully give that money up to God and his work in the world? No? Then you're not seeing things clearly. Jesus isn't your ultimate treasure. Now the scriptures teach pretty clearly, I might add, that a Christian who has heard the gospel and believed the gospel, and when they've seen what Jesus has done for them, that the pearl of great price, the treasure in a field, isn't just sitting there going, worship me, I'm it. No, no, he comes and lives the perfect life and dies in our place. He gives up the glory. He veils himself. He hides his glory and gives up the fellowship he had from all eternity with God the Father. He gave up all of his heavenly riches to come down to a sin-sick world in order to love us, in order to save us, in order to secure for us an eternal treasure in heaven. And the person who sees that and believes that and rejoices in that gives at least 10% of their income back to the work of God. Now listen, if that, what? If that blows you away, if you think there is no way I could do that, nor would I do that, then you are blind to the true value of Jesus. Gospel 
centered Christians give joyfully because we found the pearl of great price. We found the buried treasure. And if you've ever made a great investment, you buy a little penny stock and it moves up, one of the best things about that, obviously the wealth that you get from it, but also telling people about it. I bought this, this crappy field. Oh, crappy field, dude. You should have saw it. And in it were the riches of heaven. What an investment. Now, five ways that money blinds us. If you listen to those and you say, you know what, I, you're swallowing hard, you're nervous, your palms are sweaty, right? You're, you're mad at me right now. If you're blinded by money, here's how to get healed. And there's only one way. At least three times in the gospels, Jesus healed people who were physically blind. And then once in the book of Acts, he healed, I would say, the spiritually blind. He heals Saul, right? Saul was blind to the value of Jesus. Saul tried to kill Jesus. Saul wanted to persecute the followers of Jesus. Saul did not see Jesus as the pearl of great price. Listen, here's the deal. But when Saul was on his way to Damascus, Jesus, the resurrected, glorified, post-resurrection Jesus, knocked Saul off of his horse and goes, hey, the pearl's here. And Saul's like, you're the pearl. I give my life now for the pearl. And he gave up the rest of his life, literally and figuratively, for the pearl. He took the, per he, he took the message of the pearl from city to city to city to city, starting churches, planting churches, sharing the gospel. That's what, that's what Saul did, right? We call him Paul, the apostle. He took that message out. And it's interesting, when Jesus knocked him off his horse, what happened? Scales fell off his eyes, it says. I don't know if that's literal or figurative, but scales, he became unblinded. He could see now. That's what you need. If you're blinded by greed, you need the spirit of the living God to open your eyes to it. Open your eyes to the glory of Jesus. See, Saul could now see the worth of Jesus, the value, the glory, and he gladly left everything else behind to follow Jesus. That can happen to you right now. Right now. The Spirit of God can do that in you. Do you see Jesus as more valuable? As I'm describing it to you, now when you leave here, you might forget it. But right now, you might say, you know what? As you're saying that, I do see Jesus as that valuable and I want him to be that valuable to me. Well, that's the Spirit of God doing it in your heart right now. Look, look what... 2 Corinthians, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, that means some people are blind to it, the, the, the message of the gospel that I'm sharing right now. It's veiled to those who are perishing. So if you don't see the gospel, if you don't see the goodness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, you're perishing. In their case, look, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Jesus in our text is going to say, you cannot serve God and money. The God of this world is the God money. Keep reading. 
What's he trying to do? The money is trying to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Money is blinding us to our ultimate treasure, Jesus Christ. Look, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Look, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. We were blind like everybody else. We were blind to the things of this world, the idols of this world, the gods of this world. We were blind to it. We didn't want anything really to do with Jesus. He was nice and whatever, but he's over there. Then God, through the Holy Spirit, his light shone in our hearts. And now we look at the face of Jesus and we see the value there. We see the glory there. We see the pearl and the treasure there. And now we've left everything else behind. So Paul said, but just to be clear, this isn't something that just affects you down in your heart somewhere, down in your heart to stay. It isn't just something that, you know what, that's nice, that's true, that's hmm, interesting. Let me journal about that when I get home. It isn't just a change of mind too many, think, too many people think that insight or an acknowledgement is what Jesus is looking for. No, no, no. Listen, insight is never enough. Jesus is looking for repentance. The guy doesn't walk by and go, oh, that treasure in the field. He sees the treasure, puts his money where his mouth is. I'm buying that treasure. Look at the pearl. It's what I've been looking for, honey, my whole life. Let's go home and talk about it. Now you buy the thing, right? This is repentance. This is a change in behavior. When it comes to our treasure, the change is only, here it is, guys, evidenced one way. You can never pray your way out of greed. You can never worship your way out of greed. You can never serve your way out of greed. You can never think your way out of greed. You can never love your way out of greed. You can only give your way out of greed. Giving our money away to the kingdom of God is the only way. Why? Because it wants to be our God and we have to send it away and say, you're not my God. God, the real God's my God. I found the greatest treasure. I found the greatest pearl. I'm willing to give up for it. And this is not something that you learn to do once. This is something that has to be habitually practiced and we get pulled more and more and more and more into it. We're more and more generous. Listen, you will, you will never treasure Jesus. You will never live with an eternal perspective. And you will never find your ultimate purpose in life until you start giving sacrificially, consistently towards his work in the world. Giving 
is the only way to keep our eyes wide open to the true worth of Jesus and the deceitfulness and blinding properties of greed in our life. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you, the only way for you to defeat sin was for you to give your son. And you did it. You gave for us. I thank you, Father God, that you weren't greedy. You didn't keep him to yourself. But you gave him up for us so that we might be saved and we might, the light might shine in our hearts and in our mind to see the true worth and value of Jesus. And now, Father, I pray that you would change the hearts of your people. We wouldn't give reluctantly. We would give joyfully because we found what our hearts are looking for. As we come I pray right now for those who know that they've worshiped greed, that they would confess their sins, they would repent, they would make commitments to change their behaviors. They would be givers, Father. And I pray for those of us who are Christians and we're convicted by this. We see the tentacles of greed reaching in us and wanting to strangle us, wanting to slow us down. Father, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we would once again be blown away by how you go before us. How you gave for us. You gave your son and Jesus specifically, you gave your body, you gave your blood. A value that we can't put on, we will never understand, maybe not even the new heavens and earth, will we understand how valuable your sinless blood, the blood of the Son of God was shed on our behalf. Father, we repent of our greed, of our materialism. Open our eyes to it and help us see the beauty and glory and worth and value of Jesus. As we eat this bread and drink this wine, your body and your blood, Father, let us worship you through it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.